This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is bonus episode 157. I'm your host Duncan McLeish. Welcome to the show. On bonus episode 157, we are doing something a little bit different. The bonus episodes as of late have kind of been the repository for um, Movie Club and brand new horror titles being reviewed by myself. And whilst there is no shortage of brand new horror titles to review myself. I sometimes feel that I get mired down in um, those sorts of reviews and I've kind of went almost uh, 180 from how I used to do a ton of reviews on here, which would be focusing on a lot of the kind of classics or more obscure movies um, in favour of a ton of brand new horror title reviews. We've done loads and loads recently. Um, I unfortunately, about a week and a half ago, was off work ill for a couple of days and um, it gave me an opportunity to sit down and binge watch uh, some Arrow titles, specifically the the influx of Jally that Arrow Video has been putting out as of late and bash through some titles that one, I had never seen before and two, I'd never seen the Arrow version, like the Arrow print, their cut of those movies. So um, I'm going to be reviewing, uh, kind of short reviews, kind of talking about the the Blu-rays themselves, the movies and the special features for a mess of uh, Arrow Jally titles, or I believe the collective term and I think this is official, the collective term for a group of Jallo films isn't just a Jally, it's a black glove of Jally. That's right, it's a black glove of Jally is a collective term we're using to combine them all in together. So, that's what we'll be doing. We will be turning our eye over six, that's right ladies and gents, six titles that Arrow Video have put out in the last year and a half, which fall into the Jallo category, with a little look at what have they done to your daughters, um, the forbidden photos of a lady above suspicion, death smells on a murderer, the suspicious death of a minor, the pyjama girl case, and the case of the scorpion's tail. So yeah, six Jallo reviews, mini reviews, mostly talking about what I thought of them, um, without going too in-depth, don't want to spoil these things, it's, I'm always aware that, especially with these titles, the Jallo ones are not always as seen by other people, and you don't really want to spoil a Jallo ending because, well let's be honest, most of them don't make sense, but at the same time, you want people to get there on their own volition. So yeah, that's what we're going to be doing, six Jallo Arrow video title reviews on this bonus episode 157. Now we're at the middle of the week, we are doing five episodes this week, that's right, count it, five, five bitches, uh, five episodes this week. We kicked it off um, in fantastic fashion back on Monday doing movie number four 
of our Choose Your Own Horror Podcast Review Adventure Season 1. We had a special guest, it was Court Psyops, and um, thanks to your selection of Anguish and Court Psyops as the co-host on episode, we've continued on, so there's a poll live just now to see what direction we go next. It's four choices, four movies from Spain, and uh, at the moment there is a clear leader, but there's plenty of time, plenty to play for, and if you want to get involved with that poll, you need to be in our Facebook group page, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputzcast. Let's go across there, get involved with the action, Jackson. So there, that's the first thing. Then we followed up yesterday with a little bit of The House at the End of Time, a movie which has been classed in one of our 10 Tales of Woe series. Maybe not one of the better movies, but certainly the story itself, infinitely sad like all of them. Well, there's obviously this bonus episode today. On Saturday, we will be taking a goosey gander, a little glance, over another 10 Tales of Woe review. That's right, looking at The Orphanage. Really looking forward to that one. One of my personal faves. So yeah, looking forward to delving back into the sadness of that movie. On Sunday, we are doing the 88 Films Italian Collection series. I believe it's this number 30 we're looking at, which is Perfume of the Lady in Black or something along those lines. Some combination of those words joined together in a way which actually is the title of that movie. And then swinging into Monday, we'll be getting our very special April episode. So we have had some pretty interesting ones thus far, like a Fabio, Fabio Frizzy February or a March Madness episode or John Carpenter January. I wonder what April will bring. Well, time will tell when we get to that dropping on Monday. So that is what is on the horizon. Next week is stacked and packed. Eight, epi- uh, eight episodes, listen to me, six episodes coming your way. Could you imagine if I put eight, eight episodes in seven days? That'd be wrong. Um, that is bad maths, Duncan. But there we go. Right, let's get back on track here. So, you're going to hear promos for shows that I love, because we're taking a break. You're going to hear a little bit of Jallo-inspired music. You're going to hear the trailer for our first of six mini-reviews of Arrow Video Jally titles. When we return, we're doing a little bit of Sergio Martino and looking at the case of the Scorpion's Tale. All that and more coming right up, right after this. Hello, this is the Doom Show. Keep on keeping on and keep on trucking, America. We don't listen to our feedback because we don't get any. (laughs) The truth hurts. I just alienated the two people that give us constant feedback. Sorry, guys. That's gotta go. (laughs) That's gotta go in there. So on the show... Uh, We talk about giallo movies and slasher movies and cult movies. Sometimes we even talk about Cameron Mitchell and his movies. I am Richard. Who are you? I am Brad, the guy that's not Richard or Jeffrey or Simon. That's right. We have four people and we always talk at once except to each other. Jeffrey lives up north. Simon lives across the world. Richard lives in Penis, Alabama. Hello, This is the Doom Show is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. Check out the other shows on legionpodcast.com. You can check out more Hello, This is the Doom Show at hellodoomshow.podomatic.com or at doommoviethon.com. Check for our Amazon exclusive Hello, This is the Doom Show cookbook. Do you like hot dogs? (laughs) We got them. Do you like mac and cheese? We got it. Do you like cheddar? We have it. Actually, we don't. No, no cheddar. Just Colby. Colby Jack. Hello, this is the Doom Show. We never gave up on you because you never gave up on us. Wow. 
ed Henry Galen. 1926, la corazzata Potiomkin di Sergei Eisenstein. 1930, M, il mostro di Düsseldorf di Fritz Lang. 1931, l'età dell'oro di Luis Buñuel. Quattro film, quattro capolavori della violenza. Oggi è Sergio Martino che ci ripropone la stessa violenza espressiva del primo cinema con... 
la coda dello scorpione. Welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for Sergio Martino's The Case of the Scorpion's Tale from 1971, La Coda dello Scorpio, um, which is terrible. But that is how a Scotsman who does not understand Italian would pronounce such a movie title. Um, yeah, the screenplay written by Eduardo Manzanos. Um, and uh, some involvement from Martino there himself. Uh, the movie put out by Arrow Video, because all these titles we're going to be covering are Arrow Video titles. The uh, movie stars George Hilton, Anita Strinsberg, Alberto de Mendoza, uh, Janine Reynaud, Louis Barbu, Tom Felegi, Lisa Leonardi, and Thomas Pico. The synopsis for this one is listed on IMDb as The case of the scorpion's tail begins with the mysterious death of a millionaire and spirals into the murder of his suddenly rich wife, which draws the attention of a dogged investigator who follows a trail of blood to the bitter end. Now, this was a first time watch for me. This is one of the kind of... I think this might have been the last... Martino Giallo that I hadn't seen. So I've done the other ones. I've done like Torso and um, The Strange Case of Mrs. Ward or whatever the fuck it's called. Um, so I've done the other ones. But this one, for whatever reason, I'd never seen. And um, Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward, isn't it? And to be honest with you, I don't know why. I, I love the, 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 the casting, you know, George Hilton and Ian Strindsberg, two powerhouses of cinema of the time. So I don't know why I was as late to this one, but I'm glad that I was. I know you might be thinking Duncan doesn't make any sense. But first and foremost, I did love this movie. I thought it was 
pretty fucking awesome. But at the same time, you got to respect the, the Arrow release of this one. There's going to be a whole lot of fleeting Arrow throughout this entire review series just because they is doing shit that, that needs needs a bit of time to talk about how fucking amazing they are. So this movie came out, what, was middle of last year I want to say? Maybe July, August last year. Uh, it was released in both the UK and the States. 4K restoration, bitches. 4K. This thing looks like it was shot yesterday. Absolutely incredible. I mean, absolutely incredible and um, you get a chance to sit down and watch this movie it's by martino standards and by jolly standards it's fairly succinct even though this one is a jet setter like you've probably not seen before in many jallos what i love about martino is martino always looks like he's made a movie for a lot of money when it probably didn't have as much money as we think it did and a lot of that's to do with his use of location. He's a great director for, for kind of making things feel international and bold and big. And uh, yeah, this one, you have three central locations. The movie starts off in London, ends up in Greece. And you just get the feel of like this, this grand sort of sense of this big mystery that you've been, been kind of dropped into. Um, the synopsis is spot on there. It starts off with, uh, you know, this guy who is on a plane. He is traveling to um, some location. We're not really sure, but he's a millionaire. And yeah, his plane crashes right at the beginning. We find out that um, his widow, played by Ilda Galli, uh, inherits basically all the money. And she's like, yay! And so she plans that she's going to do a little bit of a sneaky, retreaty um, sort of stuff with her um, secret lover. <laughs> and um, yeah, she's killed. <laughs> she, she's 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 gutted um, in a pretty phenomenal way with the old straight razor, which you're a Jallo fan. This is 1971. You're smiling ear to ear things are fucking good. Over the background you have the masterful strokes of the phenomenal Bruno Nicolai doing his 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 best to just make this Jallo score pop. Um, so this is what you've got. Now we then turn the story to George Hilton who is our main kind of hero question mark of the movie. He's this insurance investigator um, and he is on his his a uh, kind of his investigations to find out what actually happened, um, and he is accompanied by Anita Strindsberg, who is his uh, his girlfriend, his lover. I don't know. They, they they appear to have a bit of a spark. Um, so yeah, th this is for all intents purposes. A great little mystery. Like I say, you get these, you get this jet set and style. You get to travel out and about. Um, Martino is still early in his jolly career, but he does this movie and the Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward in the same year. The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward kind of puts him on the map. But as a director, he's been kind of at it for a wee while. His first directorial effort, I think, is in early early sixties, sixty three, sixty four, and then you know, comes. 
uh, back doing a couple of bits and bobs. Nothing which is directly. I mean, he does like a, like a lot of these directors work in many different styles, and will go into working even more as we as we move on. But we kind of swing in with his first outing into Jallo uh, in '71, so the year after Bird with the Crystal Plumage with the Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward follows up quick succession that same year with the case of the Scorpions tale. Then, um, towards like 72-ish, uh, 71, certainly leaving, uh, you get Your Vice is a Locked Room and Only I Have the Key. Then, Quick Succession, All the Colours of the Dark, um, which is 72, and then Torso 73, and that's undone. Um, but some people will credit, you know, The Suspicious Death of a Minor, which is one we will talk about later on, as being another jelly, but it's kind of moved over into that policietish um subgenre by then so he's kind of moving more into the police procedural and less away kind of less to do with the murder mystery side of things and i mean he will return to jally later on certainly if you look at something like scorpion with two tails which is certainly playing into that idea of wink wink nudge nudge um remember i was the guy that did that scorpion's tail movie looking back doing another one and that's kind of early 80s but he starts messing around with all manner of different um, kind of subgenres, action, sci-fi, um, you know the the kind of uh, rip-off genre movies that you would expect from Italy. But to me, like where you're watching the Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward, which is a fucking great movie, it's a wonderful little mystery, and it feels rich in body and texture, and has this great story. The the case of the Scorpion's Tale is when I think Martino just proves that he's this really fucking interesting director who can take you all over the place um, and really construct this interesting mystery, which, to be honest with you, a couple of times you think you know where you're going to land, but then you're like, well, maybe, maybe not so much, but you never quite know. Um, you have this amazing uh, kind of killer, and this one, who is, you know, just all manners of weird outfits and killing mechanisms and the straight razor uh, gets used to great effect. There's a great scene where the killer breaks into like a mansion house, which I totally love because there is that sense of suspense you get in there, which I think he then replicates better in Torso. Uh, which really has that kind of siege feel. But you're moving a bit... I mean, the, the end of this movie ends up in Athens on a boat. So, I mean, like, out in broad daylight and they still manage to add a bit of tension between the killer chasing down the, the, the victim on the on the rocks. It's brilliant. I mean, it's, it's... It's not so much horror. This is still at the point where Jallo hasn't crossed the deep red line yet and become, like, very graphically and overtly violent towards us. Is victims. This one's still playing around with the idea of it's kind of murder mystery, and you should you should check it out, and you totally should. I mean, as it stands just now, I don't think you'll ever get a better print of this one, uh, knowing how the way physical media is certainly going. I don't think we'll ever really top this one, but what you do get is an incredible. 4K restoration, and I can't stress this enough. The 4K is worth owning here. This is what this is where it goes up a level for sure. Um, then it's the special features, and the special features are just fucking awesome. You get um, an audio commentary with the writer Ernesto Gastaldi, 
and um, you get an interview with George Hilton, which is about 25 minutes long, an interview with Sergio Martino, which is about 50 minutes long. Um, you get a analysis of Martino films by uh, Michael J. Coven, who did La Dolce Morte, which is the vernacular cinema of Italian giallo films, which is about 20 minutes long as well. It's a great book as well if you've not got it. It's very academic. Um, I own it. fucking love it. Uh, you get a video essay by Troy Holworth, who has been a guest on this show in the past. He, direct, uh, he directed, listen to me, he wrote the So Deadly, So Perverse, 50 Years of Italian Giallo Films, uh, both volumes and has a new volume coming out. Uh, and then, you know, your theatrical trailer as well. The booklet itself is fucking awesome. It has a writings on the film by Rachel Nisbet and Howard Hughes. Uh, and a biography of the star Anita Strindsberg by Peter Jimstud. Um So yeah, it's, it's a great, great fucking version of it. And it's a really good jowl. Like I say, this is probably one that is maybe more familiar to people, I don't know. But from my perspective, it was a first time watching. I was one, surprised by how well it held up. But two, how well it made sense. Um, because as you go further on in the movies we're going to be discussing, but further on just in general in the genre, things start to not make sense very, very quickly. Um, on Letterboxd, I gave this movie a 4 out of 5 and I stand by that grade. My writing on it on Letterboxd said, a really fun crime caper mystery giallo from the maestro Sergio Martino. Technically second giallo, but also came out in the same year as The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward. Martino was already making waves in this genre. It's fun, the kills are great, and the three international locations make the movie feel very expensive for what is likely not a grand budget. So that's what I marked it. 4 out of 5 for that movie. Ah. Uh, yeah. Right, let's swing it around. We're going to be doing a little bit of Klaus Kinski time. Oh yeah, baby. It's time to get into this one. Let's do Death Smells on a Murderer. Ooh, directed by the, the fucking phenomenal Joe D'Amato. His first, technically, his first horror movie. Well, that's what they credit it as. So... Let's do it, ladies and gents. We're going to take a very short break. You're going to hear the trailer for Death Smells and a Murderer. When we return, we're talking about the Arrow release of that, which came out last year. All that and more right after this. I begin to doubt whether I'll ever solve this mystery. Somehow, it just doesn't add up. Ah! It's a complex and difficult case. A touch of the supernatural. So many corpses and every death. A mystery. What is the connection between these deaths? Then, just to complicate everything, we open the tomb of that strange girl today. Empty.
you were playing with me, Greta. I hate you now. No! No, Ava! What are you doing? Welcome back. So you just heard the trailer for Death Smiles on a Murderer from 1973. Italian title. Oh, here we go again. La Morte ha Sorriso all'assassino. Um, directed by Joe D'Amato um, as Artisti Massiasi, which I think it was his original name. Um, he went by so many names, but this was technically the first movie went by Joe D'Amato on which you know if you are a lover of the genre then D'Amato is uh, right up there as a guy that I've talked about quite a few times and a guy who when on form delivers uh, when he's not being totally into pornography and being uber sleazy uh, he can he can seriously deliver a movie and this is his free into the giallo subgenre uh, the movie stars Klaus Kinski oh does it ever uh, Ewa Ulan Angela Bo, Sergio Dora, Attilo Dottesio, eh, Marco Mariani, eh, Luciano Rossi, Giacomo Rossi Stewart, Fernando Creruli. Eh, the synopsis for this one is a man discovers an ancient icon formula for raising the dead and uses it for a series of revenge murders. Murders! He uses it for murders, that's what he does. Um, yeah, this one was released by Arrow back um, May last year. So this one came out a couple of months before The Case of the Scorpion's Tale. And this is just like, last year was just the year for um, Arrow just dominating the Jallo uh, side of things. They were releasing so much fucking stuff. It was unbelievable. This one also released in the UK and the US. Um and uh, I believe released at the same time as well so this is not one of these ones that had the staggered release that you sometimes get elsewhere uh, we'll do the special features first before jumping back in to talk about the movie this one featured a audio commentary by uh, critic Tim Lucas who is fucking expert in all things yellow. Uh, I had an archival interview with Joe D'Amato called D'Amato Smiles on Death which wasn't very long, it was about six minutes long in total. Uh, we have um, a, a bit of a interview with um, Ewa, Ewa Ula, uh, called All About Ewa. It's about 45 minutes long. It's a really fascinating interview spanning what was a pretty incredible career, if you ask me. Uh, there is a great video essay by Kat Ellinger called Smiling on the Taboo. That's right. Um, you, get, you get trailers, usual shit that you get here, some stills and gallery collection and stuff. Uh, Gillis Vranick does the reversible kind of alternative cover art, which is the tits. I'm a big fan of Gillis' work and he fucking nailed it for this one for sure. Uh, this was a first time watch for me actually. Surprise, surprise. Um, I fucking love this movie. This one is goofy as balls, but in all the right ways. Um, so, basically, this one relies heavily, heavily on dream logic. And it's probably worth saying right at the start that Berto 
Pisciano um, his score although limited is very kind of fanciful and whimsical and plays into the the kind of dreamlike logic uh, this one is a period piece so it's set in the kind of early 1905-1906 sort of thing where it starts um, and you have this kind of this kind of hunchback guy Franz um, who is like overcome with grief at the loss of his, his sister and it turns out someone he loved sexually that's incest um, <laughs> that's so fucking wrong and um, we then basically have a story where we uncover this idea of this um, Klaus Kinski discovering this this magic serum that can bring bring her back to life so to speak um, and then a series of murders that start happening out with it and the murders are kind of gruesome in this one. One of the most kind of iconic being the cover artwork, which is uh, a cat attacking a guy's eye and ripping it out with his claws, which is kind of amazing. There's a lot of eye trauma in this movie. And this eye trauma is happening before we really get Filchi running his eye trauma kind of gauntlet through the very late 70s and the early 80s. Um We've got the police investigation because it wouldn't really be a Jalo without a police investigation. But the movie itself, and I don't really want to go too much into this one because it does have a great reveal. Um, it's just fun. It's another one which is about an hour and a half. Um, you get a ton of graphic violence. Uh, my wife caught me watching this movie actually and mocked how ridiculous the deaths were in. I was like, that's the best bit. That's what you're watching these movies for. That's what you watch a Demato movie for, is the more ridiculous, the fucking better. But we we get the story of how everything led up and the story beyond. It's kind of set in... Oh, that's kind of spoiling things. But yeah, it's, you're getting an investigation to something that's already happened. So it's set over two time frames, although that's not obvious at the start. And when we, when the two time frames kind of align and you get the after effect, it really, really, really works. And I think in a lot of respects, makes it one of the more interesting entries from this time period. A lot of Jallo circa 73, this is towards the, the end of its boom, 73, 74 is it kind of falling out of fashion. Uh, and what the movie does is still shows that there is with different time settings and different approaches and certainly at the hands of much more interesting directors who are not comfortable necessarily within this genre what you get is you get really interesting pieces of work and this one for all it is fanciful and is over the top and it is ridiculous frankly one of the more ridiculous ones on the list of ones we're going to be talking about it is balls to the wall entertaining it is, it is D'Amato kind of showing why he gets the reputation that he has but at the same time showing a remarkable amount of restraint and you have Klaus Kinski actually delivering a great reserve performance from a guy who was notorious for being very difficult to work with and super over the top uh, yeah it's a great fucking movie it's a high recommend from me one that if you are in your jalo and you haven't checked out Death Smells and the Murderer, I would highly recommend that you get your hands on a copy. Uh, I don't have a sale on just now. It's one of the reasons I'm mentioning this as part of this little series here is they have a pretty decent sale on just now over Easter and you pick up a lot of these titles for about eight quid at the moment. So Death Smells and the Murderer is one I would strongly recommend. I gave it four 
out of five. Uh, the little bit that I wrote on my le uh, letterbox, I'm trying to use that more often. If people want to know what I'm watching, they should go across and check my letterbox out. Um, but I put a thumpingly strong entry into the horror genre from what would be one of the genre's most perverse and shocking directors, Joe D'Amato. This giallo has less in common with the common fare and more in line with the gothic horror of Italy's 60s output and the likes of Bava, etc. The performances were strong, the Arrow Blueprint is uh, the Arrow Blu-ray print is crazy good and the score was fab. I really dug this movie. So there we go. That is Death It Smells on a Murder. A high recommend for me. Get your hands on it, sit down and watch it from 1973. There we are. Right, where are we going next? I did see you were getting six reviews on this one, so let's try... Oh, shall we? Let's do it. Let's do the forbidden photos of a lady above suspicion. This one came out in 1970, so this is right off the back of Bird with the Crystal Plumage, directed by Luciano Ercoli, and uh, you're going to hear the trailer for that movie right now, and when we come back, we're discussing it right after this. I've kept the negative of the prince. Why do you want to do this, Dominique? Don't let it worry you. You already have enough problems. Thank you. Thank you, Dominique. Sure, they're pure pornography, Commissioner. I do what I like when I'm at my place. Don't you? It was such a great pleasure that now you're coming back to pay me. You pig! I met last week. He's real wild. But what if he sold them? That'd be great. What publicity. <laughs> Undress. Better take her home. I'll see what I can find out. if I borrow this one? My dear, it's yours. Take it, if you like it. But where did you get it? It just came into oh, my possession, you know. Sit down. Sit down! or I'll bring in the police, you hear? I wouldn't advise that. I might let them hear this recording. And I would ask her for her check. Yes? Photographer. Peter! Peter! That man! Look! Thank you. 
welcome back. So you just heard the trailer for the movie The Forbidden Photos of a Lady Above Suspicion. Le photo prohibito di una signora per bene. Yeah, just doesn't get any easier, does it? Does not get any fucking easier. This one is directed by Luciano Ercoli. Um, synopsis is listed on IMDb for this one is a, a triangle of friendship, love, sex and perhaps murder. Minu is a, is newly married to Peter, a businessman in debt as he works to bring a new product to market. They met through Dominique, sexually voracious, Minu's best friend and Peter's former and possibly still lover. A stranger accosts Minu on a night at the beach while Peter is away. He tells her that Peter has murdered a business associate and blackmails her into sleeping with him. He compounds the blackmail with photos he's taken of their triste. To Minu's surprise, the same stranger is, he por- is in a pornographic photo Dominique has imported from Denmark. Is this all a game? And if so, who is behind it? So there we go. Sims heavily convoluted and it really fucking is um, in this movie you have Dagmar Lassender Pierre Paolo Capone Simon Andrew Osvaldo Genazzi Salvador Huguet and Neves Navarro um, I thought this movie was great I am actually looking back let's let's go on a slightly different approach and do my uh, my little um my little two cents on on Letterboxd first, which says a very very pretty pretty and wonderfully scored early Jalo movie that is heavily underrated by Luciano Ercoli. The team behind the project is like a super group of Italian cinema, with Ernesto Garstaldi penning the script and Ennio Morricone scoring. The plot is a bit light. Uh, on the usual tropes and violence that you would expect in the genre, but given that it was released in 1970, that's no big surprise. Overall, it's a pretty plain mystery with very fancy dressing. With hindsight, I actually regret some of that, um, and and maybe the review, but I'm going to stick with it and try and justify my opinions. Uh, Yeah, so this movie doesn't feature near the violence that we get in other Jalos. In fact, if anything, the, this is so light on violence, it's unbelievable. But what it doubles down on is the kind of mystery side of things here. So you have this kind of very beautiful, um, well-to-do sort of woman who is married to this businessman who we never really know what it is exactly he's trying to get off the ground. All we know is he's indebted to a lot of people. And one of the guys he's indebted to, his body washes up um, on a beach. And a guy approaches her and says, listen, your husband did it and I've got evidence and the only way to make this evidence go away is if you sleep with me um, she has a friend Dominique who is played by the incredibly incredibly fetching Nieves Navarro and she is into collecting porno porno polaroids yep that's in this movie and she likes to flaunt them and she's very sexually aggressive and very sexually active and she kind of turns out to be like a weird like sexy Miss Marple in this movie it's as bizarre but it works um, one day when Minu uh, played by Dagmar Lysander who oh my dear god almighty talk about Schwing um, is like major boner material uh, while she's at her house, uh, they're trading porn pictures, as you do, and she comes across a picture which happens to feature the guy that's blackmailing her. The mystery kind of goes 
in this way of can she trust anyone? Is Dominique involved? You know, who does the blackmailer work for? Is it potentially her husband Peter? Uh, could the police know more than they're letting on? It's all iffy, iffy, iffy. And I won't spoil the ending for you because I'm not going to do that. But the ending is satisfying. Um, and kind of ends like a TV mystery, like a Columbo mystery. But like I said in my letterbox review, whilst it is a plain sort of kind of mystery, it looks the business, the arrow print is fucking ridiculous on this one as well. Talk about just beautiful across the board. Um, once again, this one is region free. It came out in the USA as well as the UK. And I think it's a 2K restoration if memory serves. Just phenomenal looking. Really, 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 really beautiful. Colours pop. Um, it was released early this year, so back in January. And it was worth waiting for, to be honest with you. Like, you've got an amazing score by Ennio Morricone and Ernesto Gastaldi, who's popped up a few times as a guy who's doing the, the penning and the works here. Um, in terms of the special features, you have a commentary by Kat Ellinger, who's uh, the author, editor-in-chief of Diabolic Magazine. You have a newly edited documentary and archival interviews with not only... Neves Navarro, but the director Luciano Ericoli as well, um, and some new interview material from Ernesto Gastaldi. You have a um, talk on the, the soundtrack by a collector Lovely John. It's a quite a, an extensive uh, little bit of, of kind of critique. It's about a 50 minute doc. Um, you have a QA with Dagmar Lysander from the 2016 Festival of Fantastic Films, which runs about 50 minutes, which is kind of awesome. You've got like, the trailers, the usual stuff. Um, the the newly con uh, commissioned artwork is done by the Twins of Evil. It's phenomenal. I would love to have this on a giant poster in a room somewhere. And you've got um, Scotsman Michael McKenzie doing a bit of a, a, a kind of di dissection on the movie and the collector's booklet, which is only available in first pressings. It's worth saying that most of these booklets now are only available in the first pressings of the Blu-rays, so if they get re-released later on, you don't get that with them. Um, and it looks amazing, it's brilliant, it's a great movie. Don't expect anything mind-blowing or anything really violent or horror-based. But it's a, it's a passable little mystery which looks amazing, has a lot of eye candy in it and the score is phenomenal. I, I love me some Morricone. Uh, and I gave the movie a 3.5 out of 5. So there you go. That was... Um, <laughs> that was a mouthful. That is uh, the forbidden photos of a lady above suspicion. So yeah, there we go. Did you like that? Bet you did. So let's swing this out again. Let's swing back to Martino. Uh, and we're going to do The Suspicious Death of Minor from 1975. You're going to hear the trailer for that movie right now. And uh, when we come back, we're discussing it right after this. Si chiamava la ragazza uccisa nella pensione. Ma che ragazza? Nome, cognome, motivo dell'uccisione della ragazza. Marisa Pesce, motivo sconosciuto. Ah! Avanti, parla! Ma, ma, ma che razza di bastardo sei? Razza di Stato. Germi fa parte di una squadra speciale di polizia che svolge indagini non ufficiali sui sequestri di persone. Ma non è legale. E allora cosa dovremmo fare? 
Girarci i pollici mentre la gente viene rapita per la strada? Le madame. Non ho detto niente, solo quello che mi hanno detto di dire. Io non volevo entrare in questa sporca faccenda. Lavorare con le ragazzine è pericoloso. Se eliminano i testimoni è perché hanno paura. E se hanno paura vuol dire che siamo più vicini alla verità di quanto sembra. chiedo che non montiate troppo questa faccenda e che proteggiate ancora per un po' il mio anonimato. Vi porterò le prove e poi si vedrà. Non mi va di fare la spia, chiaro? Guarda che la spia la faccio io raccontando a mammina che fa i marchetti invece di cambiare pannolini e mocciosi. Violazione di domicilio, scasso, devastazione, percosse multiple, minaccia a mano armata, tentato omicidio. L'avviso che sono costretto a procedere nei confronti del cosiddetto commissario Germi. Allora, ti vuoi spiegare Germi? È stata legittima difesa o no? No signore, legittima offesa. Welcome back. So, just continuing on with that Ernesto Gastaldi, just fucking writing shitloads of things. Let's do the suspicious death of a minor. You just heard the trailer. This one also released by Arrow Video, as is all the titles and currently most of them in the sale just now, the Arrow Easter sale. This movie from 1975, its original Italian name, Morte Sospenta di Una Minorelli. I think that is not right but there we go <laughs> let's just keep that theme of badly pronounced things that Duncan can't say uh, the cast listing Claudio Casanelli Mel Ferreira uh, Leah Tanzi Gianfranco Barra Patrizzi Castaldi uh, Aldolfo Caruso Jenny Tamburu uh, Massimo Girotti and uh, other folks in here. Synopsis are listed on IMDb for this one is a young prostitute is found brutally killed and it's up to de- Detective Germi, played by Claudio Casanelli, the investigation of the case as he searches 
and progresses and uncovers a girl trafficking ring with connections to powerful people. So, um, I will just once again spin out what I said on Letterboxd about this movie. Um, the fatigue was kind of setting in a little bit at this point, but I will say that of all the Jalo that I watched, this one actually probably scored the lowest. Um, and what I wrote about it was not really a Jalo at all and more of a Poliziotteschi genre movie. It is Martino checking out of the Jalo genre and exploring other interests which bears a lot of fruit. Grand in scope and in location, much like most of his 70s work, the movie becomes more and more police mystery and less like the genre the movie is clearly marketed in. Some wonderful set pieces and great score, but it feels overly long in parts and tonally inconsistent. So yet this movie was long. Well, it felt long. Um, it's about an hour and 40 and I want to say it felt like two hours. Like I, this was one of the ones where I started to feel myself start to check the old, uh, check the old watch as we were going through it. And it's not for anything other than I find the kind of police, policy techy, police procedural. Uh, stuff in Italy sometimes really cool and really interesting when they fully embrace the sort of uh, the kind of crime caper American style stuff so when they were dealing with the mob and shit like that I find it really interesting but when they start delving into what like I say is a very lukewarm jolly if I'm honest the, the killings feel like that's where the foot of the movie wants to be in but the rest of the movie is so we're gonna catch a killer um, it doesn't become all that great and I, I felt like it just kind of trundled along and trundled along and never really went down the road that I wanted it to fully embraced the, the avenue which the movie clearly wants to be and the casting is great though it's very difficult not to to, to kind of lean in and say that the casting was awesome um, and the score is great as well you get a really really kind of beautiful and at times kind of modern kind of 70s feeling um, score which which plays throughout. This one was also released in two regions, um, both the, the English and the US by Arrow, so both at the same time as well, which was kind of awesome. Uh, it came out in September, I want to say, last year, or maybe even the year before. This could be even older. I could have had this movie for a year and a half and not watched it. Maybe it was. I, I want to say it was late 2017, early 2018 now. I really should have done my research on that bit. But this one, actually, of all the titles we're going to talk about as well, surprisingly light on the special features. You get an audio commentary by Troy Howarth, who is, like we said earlier on, the author of So Deadly, So Perverse. Um, you get an interview with Sergio Martino, which is a great interview. It's like 50 minutes long-ish, called Violet Milan. But that's really about it. Um, Chris Malbon does the, the alternative art print for it, which is okay. It's not one of my favourites, uh, if I'm honest. And the, the booklet itself has writings by Barry Forshaw, who, who does some, some writing on the actual movie itself. I mean, the print looks beautiful. It has a, a kind of cool score like I said before um, and you have people that were involved with great movies of the time like Love and Dead at Manchester Morgue or Suspiria or The Psychic or Island of the Fisherman which is also I believe a Martino movie um, 
And yeah, I, there's not a lot to say about this one. It's more Policiteshi than it is Jalo, and I just felt it was long. The Policiteshi movies tend to be quite long, they tend to be over an hour and a half, whereas some of the best Jalos of the time were that kind of nice hour and a half getting get out. And you would think 10 minutes wouldn't make the difference, but it really does when you are kind of spending more time doing the police investigation stuff and less time with the killer, which is where the Jalo stuff kind of shines, in my personal opinion. Um, yeah, it's okay for what it is. It, it never, it, you know, it's never going to set the world on fire, and it's one of the less, you know, lesser Martino movies. Um, certainly after Torso, I think he felt that he got most of that out of his system. So it kind of almost feels like he doesn't quite know what he's doing here, but kind of really wants to move away from doing what he's doing and the jail stuff and do some more of that 70s police stuff which he you know will tap into as the the decade kind of trundles on yeah I, I, like i say he wasn't my favorite i liked it but i, I couldn't say any more than that martino's always a really interesting director to watch anyway because his movies are always very well put together uh, whereas some of the other directors that, that you turned their hand to Jallos were wildly inconsistent with his work. Martino just seems to be able to turn in a great movie. M maybe never the, the most remarkable movie that you've ever seen, but turn in a really well put together movie regardless nonetheless. So there we go. Uh, yeah, not a lot to say about this one, Suspicious Death of a Minor. It, it kind of came and went, and to be honest... Um, my, my recollection of specific details is not all that great at all. But yeah, that's that's where we land with that one. Which means we've got two left to talk about. Um, I really want to get into this one. This one I had to import uh, from the States. I'll put it out over there. Uh, directed by Massimo Dallamano. We are going to take a look after the break and you hear the trailer for What Have They Done To Your Daughters. We're going to discuss that movie right after this. Quante storie per quattro scopate. È una bambina. Certo, una ragazzina. Solo che se non ci sto attenta è capace che faccia un figlio ogni nove mesi. Sì, signor procuratore, minorenne. Forse è scappata di casa, una delle tante. Questa ragazza è stata assassinata. Le sto chiedendo di collaborare con la giustizia. Ma beh, resta da stabilire se un libero cittadino può o non può... Infatti, resta da stabilire. Intanto lei è in stato di fermo. Basta, Silvestri. La procedura mi vieta di dirle altro o di chiederle altro. Vero, signor procuratore? La procedura le vieta soltanto di usare certi sistemi. Lei ha detto che il caso è risolto. È inaudito. E non pensi di potermi coinvolgere? Non voglio coinvolgere nessuno io. Lei ha promesso alla stampa di far parlare un cadavere. Ci sono di mezzo nomi che non si toccano. Non si possono toccare se non arriva una decisione dall'alto. E questo significa mai, come al solito. Sbaglio o c'è ancora in libertà un tale che va in giro ammazzando gente con un'ascia? Ah! Adesso ti faccio a pezzi, come ho fatto con il tuo amico. Ma prima ah! ho nascosto quello.
tirarvene fuori uno, Silvestri. Voglio ucciderlo con queste mie mani. Chi è Giuliana Bigi? Sono io. Perché? Devi venire con noi. Ma che volete? Vieni, vieni. Siamo in piazza Matteotti, i quattro accessi sono bloccati. Welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for What Have They Done To Your Daughters. Uh, yeah, we're continuing our look through six movies I watched over two days of sickness. Um, all released from Arrow Video, all in the mostly giallo subgenre. Um, all released within the last two years. And this is me catching up with so many titles I just don't have the time to watch. This one is What Have They Done your daughters directed and written by Massimo Delamano. Um, Massimo Delamano, most notably known for the giallo What Have They Done to Solange. Fucking grim little bit of movie work that is. It's, it's a great movie but by god does it just keep gut punching you. And um, the big story at the time was that Delamano had this idea of doing this trilogy this What Have They Done trilogy uh, and then sadly passed away before making the third one. So, you know, his his original ideas never quite made it out. The Italian title for the movie is La Polizia Chedi Otio, um, which I'm fairly sure does not translate to What Have They Done To Your Doors. Just saying, I don't think that is what it turns out to be. Uh, the movie stars Giovanna Rally, Claudio Casinelli, Mario Adolf, Franco Fabrizi. Farley Granger, Marina Berti, Paolo Tucco, eh, Corrado Chiapati and eh, Michela Pignatelli. The movie itself, um, we'll go more into the movie story, is once again this kind of combination like the previous one of the Polizitecci movie and Giallo. This one I think focuses more on the Giallo aspect, although they do and really enjoy kind of the police procedural aspects of this movie. Is more in line with the Jallo vibes though, considering that our killer in this movie is all dressed in biker getup, a black biker getup, and is wielding like a fucking meat cleaver, which I just think is so fucking amazing in this movie. Uh, it centers around the police investigation after finding a, a kind of young girl 
hanging from the rafters in a loft. It kind of focuses on this uh, district attorney and kind of police detective uh, trying to solve the crime and ultimately stumbling into what is found out to be this kind of underage uh, kind of sex trafficking prostitution ring. Uh, weirdly, um, from Delamano's point of view, is trying, I think, where possible, to put forward a bit more of a social commentary aspect about how nefarious crime organisations are and uh, attitudes towards sex and sex as an industry. Um, it never really gets to those lofty heights. It is, of course, an Italian genre movie, after all, from the 70s, so it is very, very sleazy at points. And whilst I can see there is a point in there, it's not handled with the depth that you would really want. Um, but across the board, I really liked this movie. This is a first-time watch for me. I imported it from America. This is, uh, once again, an Arrow one, but it was only released in Arrow US, so I don't know what the deal was with it not getting released over here. Um, the special features are fucking great for this one. You get audio commentary by Troy Holworth, we've already mentioned him and his book. We get Masters and Slaves, Power Corruption and Decadence in the Cinema of Massimo Delamano, which is a video essay by Kat Ellinger. Uh, Eternal Melody, an interview with the composer Stelvio Cat. Capriani, uh, Dalamano's touching interview with Antonio Ciliano, uh, unused footage, shot for the film, which um, uh, you know, equates to about five minutes, uh, and then the usual stuff. Adam Rabalakis, I think that's how you pronounce his name, did the alternative artwork, which is bitchin', some good old fashioned chopper uh, with a biker on the on the screen. Um, yeah, you, you get like this really solid murder mystery thing here but where it really stems in is the sleaziness of the fact that you've got this kind of prostitution ring going on and the police as they're getting close it's like this hitman's being sent out to, to start taking care of some bee snatch if you know what I mean as he works his way around just like brutally killing people uh, it went from a load of different names uh, I think in America it was released as the co-ed murders um, which, you know, it's got nothing to do with co-eds and all to do with prostitutes, but that's kind of classic renaming fashion when you're putting out these movies in alternative territories. Um, yeah, it's shot beautifully. It's It's got a lot of action going. The ending's maybe, um, we could say maybe slightly anticlimactic, but I really enjoyed it. It felt grounded for the most part. And like I say, where you're seeing a lot of kind of, oh, kind of the, the uh, how would you call them? The debutantes of the 70s, these very beautiful women uh, of high standing fashion being picked up by a killer and the other jallos. This one kind of weirdly grims it in a sleazier, more realistic fashion of just a lot of prostitutes are dying here in the hands of someone who doesn't want you to know about the nefarious deals they're doing. It is a strong recommend for me, but only if you have a multi-region player in the UK or you are in the States, I would say pick this one up. What they, have they done to your daughters? It's a fucking great movie. I prefer uh, what have they done to Solange over this one just because that movie really does kick me in the balls pretty much all the way through it and it really has a powerful impact. But you can see as a director, Dallamano is moving with the times. You could already see the writing on the wall for the genre and where it was going and what he wanted to do in terms of, of, the, uh, of the kind of police procedural stuff. And he, he certainly was heading that way anyway. Uh, but yes, yeah, a beautiful print, beautiful movie, uh, highly worth checking out. And that's what have they done to your daughters. Um, what did I see, ladies and gents, on my letterboxed review? 
Well, I said it's a great little combo of the Italian police procedure and the giallo. Massimo delivers um, a movie well worth of its previous spiritual prequel, What Have They Done to Solange? Few things I can actually point to as negatives, and I'm glad that I imported the Arrow Blu-ray from America. I gave it a four out of five. Strong review. Really, really liked this one. We'll come back and watch it. I'm kind of hoping that there will be at some point, maybe towards the end of the year, we might dedicate a whole month, very similar to what we're doing with the Ten Tales of Woe, to like a a, a ten series of Jalo, and uh, we're going to go all over the shop when we do that and pick loads of different examples. Uh, for you. So some of these titles that we've covered here, we'll, we'll probably get into more in-depth reviews with guests and, and see where we land with that one. I feel it's almost it's almost ne- you know absolutely necessary that we do that moving on. But that is what have they done to your daughters. Which leaves us with the last one and I have kind of saved the best to last in that the movie we're about to discuss is the one that I enjoyed the most out of the lot. And it is one that I had never heard anything about before uh, and it's very late day Jallo as well, this is from 77. Um, and I, I kind of, this one stuck with me after watching it, I thought it was just kind of incredible. It's directed by Fabio Moringeri and it's the P- Pajama Girl Case uh, from 1977. So you're going to hear the trailer for that movie when we come back we're going to be discussing it right after this. This is Dempsey. This isn't ghostly, Morris. The killer did that of the body because he was frightened. In fact, he was probably more scared than the girl herself. Possibly she knew him. Or her. I don't understand the fact that the killer could be a woman. Often she'd ask me if she could stay over, as if she was scared to go home alone. I don't know. I kept telling you that Evelyn was in love with you. Oh, I kind of doubt that. You can get yourself in a lot of trouble. My name is Patricia Dorsey. The girl that was killed is my daughter. It's disgusting the way you put her on show. You're never going to find out who the killer is until you find out who the girl is. You've got to let her body be seen by as many people as you can. The only thing women like you are good for is sex. Do you want the money? Hmm? Go. Go and get the hell out of here. You and your filthy bastard child. All I want is to have it thrown. Nothing. I got nothing. Nothing. Stop for a second. Roy Give me a the chance. One who killed her. I'm just a stupid immigrant. Go to your homework and don't ever let me catch you reading this crap again. Now get out of here before I beat the shit. <laughs> no. 
You're always chasing the girls out at the beach. Everything's against you, everything. Come on, Quinn. Confess. That poor girl is not Patricia's daughter. <laughs> I think I'm going to meet the pajama girl's killer tonight. I've got an appointment with him. Now, he's not very bright. He could be dangerous. Welcome back. So you just heard the trailer for our final little chatting point on this bonus episode looking at six Jalo movies released by Arrow Video in the space of about a year and a half that I checked out on my uh, two days sick from work. Uh, this one is the Pajama Girl case. I'm kind of leaving the best last because FYI I fucking loved this movie. Uh, it's directed by Flavio Mon- Monagheri. And he also wrote the movie. The cast listing is Ray Miland, Dahlia Di Lazaro, uh, Michelle Placido, Mel Ferrer, Howard Ross, Romano Oliveros, um, Ron, Rod Milner, uh, Giacomo Asandri, Eugene Walter, Fernando Ferran Gomez, Antonio Ferrandez. Um, the movie's name in Italian why am I doing this uh, La Ragazza dal Pigiamo Giallo um, so uh, loosely translated to what was this one because it has a couple of names but um, it's either the girl in the yellow pyjamas or the pyjama girl case very loosely based on an unsolved murder mystery in Australia called the pyjama girl and uh, this one was shot in Australia as well, which is kind of weird that, you know, they would move right out with to, to kind of start doing movies that far afield for, you know, for their kind of productions that they'd like to jet set. But at this point, no one's watching Jalos really, kind of circa 77, 78. And the fact that this movie is, you know, is released in a genre that isn't really doing well, but also it's so blatantly, you know, shot not in Italy. Um, is is one of these weird ones where you know, kind of raises an eye to make you think, well, why was that done at the time? Um, let's do a little bit of information on this one. So, in terms of its release, it was released both in the UK and in the USA. So it's region unlocked for those territories by Arrow and came out kind of late September 2018. Um, special features on this one were a new audio commentary by Troy Holworth, who seems to be on all of these, uh, a new video interview with the author and critic Michael McKenzie, uh, a Scotsman on the internationalism of Giallo, uh, a new video interview with actor Howard Ross, who was in the movie, um, an interview with editor Alberto Taglavini, 
Um, and archival interview with composer Ritz Ortoloni will be coming back to that. Uh, it's a 20 minute one, it's quite fascinating. The um, kind of alternate artwork was done by Chris Malbon and um, in the booklet it was Alexandra Heller Nicholas that did the, the, the kind of writing within there. This is a beautiful looking movie as well, it's a really really stunning looking movie. It was beautifully shot in Australia and uh, the kind of cinematography certainly carries over into that. Uh, first thing to see is, I, I mean, I love Rizzotelloni. I think it's difficult not to be a fan of, you know, kind of Italian genre cinema of the 70s and 80s. Uh, his score in this one is haunting, sad, and beautiful at the same time. It's like maybe one of my favourites. It's at top tier, kind of top three Ortoloni scores, in my opinion. I know I might be raising some eyebrows in that one, but listen to it entirely from start to finish and you'll see what I mean. It really it really is a very fucking beautiful haunting score. And um, what I loved about this movie, why I think it's so high on my watching overall is that the movie itself is two stories which are seemingly and this is kind of spoilerific, so I apologize in advance, but we do kick out that spoiler tag at the beginning. Uh, two stories which are completely unrelated you think until you realise they are the same the same story, the same case, just one is a prequel and one is the actual story. And it involves this kind of haunted detective coming out of retirement or, you know, kind of near his retirement or just almost at the door, coming back to try and, where possible, help kind of hand this case over to a younger detective to solve because it's been famously un unsolved up until this point. Um, think like Argento Sleepless because th there is a lot of that in there. I know that um, Mackenzie in his video review mentions that implicitly and I think that's right. I think it's good to mention that. It feels like the two movies kind of have a heavy crossover. Um, when you watch them you feel that they are almost mirroring each other in those aspects of the kind of haggard old detective coming out very cynical coming back to handle things over it's a deeply sad story about a, a kind of a young girl who is overtly promiscuous and heads towards a kind of life of prostitution while kind of falling in love with this this kind of waiter who is interested but not interested and this jilted lover that is kind of stalking her and we kind of follow um, the kind of last weeks of her life uh, into misery and ultimately her death and then the investigation afterwards of trying to solve or pick up the pieces of things to try and solve the case overall. It's really fucking well done. This movie is nice, interesting. It's one of the longer ones, but it works for me. It's about an hour and 45, but it just kept me interested. I loved the the, the, the kind of old crusty detective. It's kind of hilarious in this one. There's a masturbation joke earlier in it, which genuinely did get me kind of laughing. But the... The kind of crossing over into this kind of younger detective desperately trying to solve the case that the old man can't do. And even him, we spend a, a bit of time with him when he dies in the movie. Like I said, full of spoilers. Uh, when he dies in the movie, you're kind of struck by how kind of close you've grown to that character in such a short time. Uh, it's an ultimately a tragic story. This one would have made great for the Ten Tales of Woe, to be honest with you. It's a very, very tragic story, but it's beautifully shot. It's um, very well acted, actually. And uh, just like a really interesting take. To me, this showed that 
Jal still had a a way of keeping interesting and a way of keeping relevant. I mean, 77 is the year of Suspiria, so Deep Red had come out two years before, and people were really struggling to work out what they could do or couldn't do within the genre. Um, and it goes to show that with the right pitch, with the right story and with the right interest, you can really bring something together. Um, I gave it a four and a half out of five, almost a five. Um, and in hindsight, I imagine if I watched watch it again it'll be a five for me it's genuinely one of the better jowls i've seen in a while and um, my letterbox review said well this movie was really really good two stories told at the same time um with an old mystery overlapping and becoming into one this movie is really tragic and uh, for sure it's a really well told story and surprisingly for a later day outing of 1977 and the score oft Ortoloni nails this hard well worth checking out not just for jelly completists and I would say that if you like a bit of murder mystery if you like a bit of kind of crime mystery cinema as well um, the pyjama girl case should be at the top of your list Arrow knocked it out of the park they've given me a movie I had never heard of before that has instantly rocketed up to one of my top tier jello faves if I'm honest um, absolutely loved it four and a half out of five most likely a five the next time I watch it and that's all she wrote about that so there we go a quick whistle stop tour of some Arrow releases packed to the gills with special features for the most part um, delivering Six movies from comparably over a seven year time period, charting from before Jalo got really violent through the violence of the Jally and then into its kind of post Haiti kind of milieu of trying to bring back something which people don't have an interest in and kind of doing it through different ways, whether it's either kind of lackadaisically fitting it into a police procedural or if you're just going full murder mystery with the pajama girl case at the very end so there we go i'm going to take my final break ladies and gents when i come back i'm closing out the show and i'm doing it right after this you're listening to the podcast under the stairs you've been listening to the podcast under the stairs this has been bonus episode 157 with a black glove full of jallo it's the official measurement of jally um yeah six kind of mini reviews and kind of talking points not necessarily going full depth because like i said in my reviews i kind of feel there's going to be a jallo series somewhere this year for podcasts under the stairs with a a multitude of different guests some knowledgeable some less knowledgeable but getting into the nitty gritty of the cinema itself um yeah so six minute reviews of Arrow video titles which to be honest even when the movies weren't of the most engaging or were getting slightly boring for me you're you're kind of struck by how great the print is and how fucking phenomenal the filmmaking is behind that world of cinema so there you go like I say all those movies which is only pertinent for this weekend all these movies are in the Arrow sale I believe and you can get them for about anywhere from about £7 up to 12 at the moment and I, I would recommend if you're into that world of cinema or you want to start getting in to some Jallo because I talk about it so fucking much then now is the time to pull that trigger and get involved with it so please 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 do that go and check them out right 
Right. There's much of the ways to check out podcasts under the stairs. As always, I say, come across and check us out on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to the feed. Leave us a rating and a review. It's the best way to support us on that platform. But you can also check us out at Stitcher Smart Radio, SoundCloud, Google Play, TuneIn and Spotify. You can visit our website. It's tputzcast.com. And if you want to buy posters or enamel pins, you can do that by going to tputzcast.bigcartel.com. If you're interested in buying some of the older designs on a multitude of different merch, then you can go to redbubble.com and type in Teapot's Cast and you see all the fucking weird and wonderful wacky things you can get prints on over there. You can check us out on Facebook. We're in two locations on Facebook. We have a group page where all the listeners hang out and chat about the show, movies and all that jazz. That's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash cast. However, if you only want to know when the shows are dropping and you want to check out the occasional live stream or a Thursday Thursday, then that's the Facebook page you want to go to, which is facebook.com forward slash cast. You can join myself and the Baz on the twin prongs of social media, sexiness. Instagram and Twitter both can be followed at TeaputsCast. The podcast under the stairs will return on Saturday with another 10 Tales of Woe looking at the orphanage. But until then, wherever you are, what the time zone is and whatever you're up to in this big bad world of ours, please take care of yourselves out there. This is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs and I am signing off. Uh-huh.